What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. Today is Friday, January 14th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Maddie, I am doing so well over here. It is five degrees today, so I could probably be a little bit better, but um, I'm hanging in there nonetheless. It's frigid. It's very, very cold over in the Northeast. (laughs) (laughs) It's ice. It's ice. This place kind of sucks. I used to live in California. It was way better, but you know what? The perks of living in the Northeast are great. So you got to, you got to appreciate what you got. It's, it's a give and take. Life is a give and take. Yeah. I love the Northeast, but I was a little jealous at work today when I found out that some people in our California office were sitting in a balmy 79 degrees. Oh, (laughs) you know what, Matt, we're in the middle of January. Things could be worse. We could be, you know, we could be at the first week of January, which is the worst week. Also, it should be cold. It's January. It's winter. Exactly. You know what? Like, this is good. This is good. Let's keep this cold, cold thing going until winter's over. And then what is it? March 21st. Is that spring? March 21st is spring. But even just like it being March kind of gets you in the right mindset. Like your head's like, all right, it's March. Like we're close to warmer weather. (laughs) Mentally, it's warm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like in my head, I can picture myself in warmer weather. All right. Well, let's picture ourselves in warmer (laughs) weather and get into the show. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way, Monday and Friday. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental. Whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics, TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you here. Really important before we get into the show, Please rate and review on Spotify and Apple, even if you listen on a different service. Log into that other account. We know you have it. Give us that five stars. We need it. Yeah, and the best way to help us out is to give us a rating and review wherever you can, whenever you can, on whatever platform you can. So go ahead and do that. And find new platforms. (laughs) Invent your own platform to give us a (laughs) five-star rating. Yeah, and share the show with friends who you think might like it. All right, so let's kick off our first quick hit of the week, and it is by Camilla Hodgson and Stephen Bernard of the Financial Times, and they write, food prices remain high into 2022 on shortages due to extreme weather. So Nick and I have talked about global inflation a little bit on here, but it turns out that there's more to it than just supply chain issues and the number of available workers due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. This article starts off with three graphs that show the prices of Arabica coffee in South America, Belgian bintia potatoes, and North American Saskatchewan yellow peas across 2021. All three saw rising prices throughout the year, and all three were heavily impacted by some sort of extreme weather event. In Brazil, severe frost in July caused the fourth quarter price for coffee to rise from around $1.60 to $2.40 per pound. In Europe, 
Major flooding in Belgium and Germany caused potato prices to increase from around $100 per ton to nearly $250 per ton. And in Saskatchewan, the price of peas rose from $10 per bushel to over $18 after a heat wave in early July. So those prices were already increasing due to demand because peas are a good source of protein for plant-based foods. Unfortunately, due to climate change, scientists predict that extreme weather events will become more frequent and more severe. This means that price increases for crops impacted by climate change will also become more frequent. According to a report by the Stockholm Environmental Institute, agriculture is one of the most exposed sectors to climate change and will be impacted by extreme weather events, but also by long-term shifts in climatic patterns. Yeah, and the article also mentions that this can have kind of a domino effect where crops that get popular when climate-impacted crop prices rise also increase in price. Yeah, and it also says that lower crop yields due to climate change, like what we've seen for sugarcane over the past couple decades, for example, and higher prices could cause food insecurity in less resilient countries that rely mostly on importing their food. Yeah, and I'm noticing this like even in my go-to grocery store. Um, and I feel, I kind of feel like, like, like I'm 65 years old, like worrying about like, Hey, tuna is <laughs> like two fifty now a can instead of one fifty, like whatever. But yeah, like everything's kind of gone up in price and we're dealing with the highest food inflation since October of 2008. Um, and I also saw from the New York times today that Jerome Powell, who's the federal reserve chair said that the fed is prepared to raise rates in order to tame the inflation that we're experiencing. So everyone go and refinance your student loans now. Uh, let me know if you need a referral link so we each get some <laughs> bonuses, baby. <laughs> what did you do it through, SoFi? No, I did Splash Financial. And if you use my referral code, we will each get $200. And it was cheaper than <laughs> SoFi. No free ads, but help me, help me make $200 while you also make $200. <laughs> I feel like you have to leave the, your like link in, in the show notes of this yeah. week's episode. Link will be in the show notes. <laughs> a very good call. Let's make some money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next one, which comes from the BBC, where John Stone writes, government invites oil companies to help write rule book on whether new fossil fuel drilling is green. All right, so let's just get out in front of this one. No, new fossil fuel drilling is not green. If you remember back in November when Boris Johnson kicked off COP26 by saying we all need to stop extracting fossil fuels, you're probably equally as frustrated as we are by this. Ministers in Parliament quietly said they were cool with new oil extraction, even though that makes reaching net zero by 2050 much more difficult, if not impossible. According to a report by the International Energy Agency last year, it's gonna get tough if we keep allowing for more fossil fuel drilling. What's worse is the ministers in parliament invited oil companies to help draft this strategy, which really just shows a short-term outlook based on boosting the economy without factoring in the long-term policies that we need to fight climate change. Yeah, and, and I mean, this comes back to the whole, you know, we've talked about this before, but like everyone should have a seat at the table and all that stuff. But in this case, it kind of feels like just a blatant slap in the face. Like here you are having people who make their money in this industry help make policy on whether or not it's okay or good for the environment. Like that makes no sense. Yeah, this kind of, that's a good point about the seat at the table. And, and this kind of reminds me of, let's say somebody gets convicted of robbing a bank and the judge is sitting down. He's like, huh, 
I wonder what we should make this person's punishment. And the, the guy's lawyer comes up and she's like, well, you should only make it a little bit because he wasn't stealing that much. And the judge is like, all right, I'll consider it. And then the dude who actually robs the bank is like, no, here's what you should do. Uh, let me rob more. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic analogy. <laughs> it's, like it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a smart strategy, but here we are. And another thing we should add, Greenpeace UK's policy director, Dr. Doug Parr, said, quote, can the carbon emitted by burning oil and gas from new fields be made to fit within our carbon budget? The International Energy Agency says no, as we already have too much oil and gas to take us beyond the globally agreed benchmark of 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise. And the government's climate advisors agree. The oil and gas industry, however, disagrees. So, look, letting that same industry have a say in the policy that impacts them, to me, is just maddening. Like, I think it, honestly... This just comes down to getting corporate money out of politics because corporate donations give corporations a lot of say in policy. And in this case, we see sometimes it's way too much say. Yeah. And I mean, this just comes back to when we were going through COP26, when that was going on and how we were saying like, oh, Boris Johnson's coming out like hot, like he's ready to go. He's ready to fight climate change. And then we were like, wait, he could be just doing this for political gain and all that stuff. And it just feels all the more relevant right now with this specific article. Yeah. And this article called out the UK, but our governments across the world are not really doing enough to fight climate change. Like this isn't just a UK issue across the pond where we live. Climate activists marched on Saturday outside of president Joe Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware to protest the Biden administration over promising and under delivering on climate change so far. Um, just a note to those people who were, were protesting, Look, I'm with you, but we need a better name than Occupy Biden. Like <laughs> Occupy Wall Street worked many years ago, but I saw that they that they were calling this Occupy Biden, and I'm like, <laughs> like there's got to be better branding that's like catchy and sounds good. Like Wall yeah, Street exactly. is a location. <laughs> like, Occupy Biden's like, oh, okay. Do you want to like prepare his prune juice for him or? <laughs> Look, keep up the pressure. Like what you are protesting is good, and we have the right to protest, so use it. That being said, let's focus on our branding a bit. <laughs> yeah, come on. We got to come up with something better than Occupy Biden. Yeah, and something that's been occupying a lot of, of my headspace recently is Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief. It's a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. And the Oscar for best transition of the year goes to Matthew Norton of the Planet Today. Thank you. Go check him out, guys. Valaalta.co. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And our next quick hit is titled Snow Leopard Dies at Illinois Zoo After Contracting COVID-19. 
by Sana Noor Hawk of CNN. Sad story coming out of the Miller Park Zoo where Rilu, an 11-year-old snow leopard, died from pneumonia related to COVID-19 on January 8th. Rilu was an integral part in the species survival plan for snow leopards and helped the zoo become one of the world's leading institutions in producing cubs. With between four to six and a half thousand snow leopards left because of poaching, habitat loss, and climate change, every individual loss like this one hurts. Snow leopards have been one of several animal species that have been found to be susceptible to contracting COVID-19. And look, it makes sense if a zoonotic virus, meaning it jumped from animals to humans, can also be contracted by animals from humans. COVID vaccines, which are different from the vaccines that are used on humans. So don't worry, they're not like taking vaccines from people that need them and giving them to animals. They have different biology than us. They require different vaccines. So anyway, COVID vaccines have been used on animals at several zoos and other conservation centers. So let's hope that those help reduce the spread to other at-risk species. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the forgotten part of COVID is that it can contract with animals and they can actually get it. And I remember like in the beginning, they were like, oh, your dog could get COVID and they could give it to you and all that stuff. But this is, this is definitely a rough loss. I mean, I don't know how old snow leopards usually get to, but 11 years does not seem like it's, it's far enough along. Well, good thing we have Google at our fingertips lifespan, 15 to 18 years. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely on the, the lower end. Yeah. Another life taken too soon. Yeah, and Joel Sartori, who's a wildlife photographer who took, honestly, some really beautiful photos of Rilu, added, if you haven't received a vaccination and a booster yet, please do so. It's more than just human lives that are at stake. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's move on to the next one here, and it is from National Geographic, where Guido Bilbao writes, an imported tree fuels Patagonia's terrifying summer fires, with photographs by Alejandro Chaskilberg. So it only took us three episodes into 2022 before I gushed over Nat Geo some more, but look, here we are. Absolutely incredible photos add to their stories every single time they publish something, and this is another one of those. This comes out of South America, where the Patagonia region has experienced difficult summers because of fires, and summers used to mean snow receding, and then snow melt leads to these beautiful lakes filling with clear water and vibrant vegetation, but now summers can prove to be very challenging for the people that live there. Last March, a series of fires burned through 54,000 acres over a few days, killing three people and burning down 300 homes. So look, it is worth noting that this is a sparsely populated region where 54,000 acres only resulted in 300 homes being burnt down, but still any home that's lost to a wildfire that's, we'll get into this later, but human caused is one too many. One local person named Jesus Almost described the sound of gas tanks near homes exploding like bombs as fire raced towards his home. He ran from it, quote, as if from the roar of a dragon. Severe fires like this were considered rare in this region of South America, but this fire almost a year ago could serve as a warning of what will come with climate change. Snow cover was the lowest it had been in two decades last year, which is another indicator that Patagonia is drying up and getting warmer, which, like we talked about last week in Colorado, can be a dangerous combination for fires. One of the main causes of the intensity of the fires is the non-native pine trees, along with rising temperatures and higher population in the wildlands of Patagonia. 
Population increase is especially noticeable in El Bolson, where the area's 44 rural schools have started to turn away some enrollments as more people begin to live close to nature. Yeah, and and the pictures in the article were were brutal to look at, to be honest. Like, seeing these people who have had their homes ripped from them sitting around a campfire on cinder blocks that were, like, left from the debris uh, was was definitely rough, and I, I feel terrible for all those who, who were affected yeah I, I agree with your sentiment and the, the pictures were some of them you're looking you're like wow the danger that these photographers were in to get these photos seriously yeah yeah and then some it's just gut-wrenching to look at someone who is standing over i think one guy had just finished building his home like three months before the fire burnt it down they said yep and a scary statistic that jumped out to me and i alluded to this earlier the Argentine Ministry of the Environment stated that 93% of the fires there are human-caused, something that only used to happen naturally because of lightning strikes or volcanic eruptions is now happening because of humans 93% of the time. Insane. And to get back to pine forests a bit, many of the trees in Patagonia's forests near La Camarca Andina where El Bolson is located, were planted in the 1970s on what used to be grasslands for grazing. Those trees that were planted there were mainly northern pines. The government subsidized a planting plan in the 1970s to promote forest restoration in Argentina, but the ecology of the area and the future of climate change were not well known yet. So they settled on fast-growing trees and planted northern pines. And this had some unforeseen pros and cons. So the pros were that This caused quick reforestation and for the timber industry to boom, despite the poorer timbers from the pines. But the cons were that pine species use fire to spread and take over new lands. Wind spreads that fire, but they also spread more seeds. Pines are also much more flammable than other types of trees. So with every fire, 90% of their seeds are going to germinate. And this means that with every new fire, there's more and more pine trees. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. Like, you... you you don't know about climate change that well in the 1970s to to know that it might cause you know fires in the future the the pines that you're planting might cause fires in the future but you know that's the position that they're in and it's unfortunate but god i, I don't even know what like the the fix would be in this case you know yeah and it's tough too that it started with such good intentions right we're going to reforest the grasslands and build back up our forests and it just happens that they chose a species that spreads with and like wildfire. Yeah. So today, that community that was ravaged by a fire almost a year ago has created a co-op to sell regional products and boost the community as a whole. So while fires in the future remain a cause for concern, the community is treating them as sort of a rebirth right now. And since some definitely lost more than others, I really love the idea of the co-op here. Yeah, I mean, definitely unfortunate, but... It, it sounds like it's a resilient community and, and that they're going to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, and and try and get out of this thing. Yeah, and they're helping each other too. It's not like they're just pulling themselves up, which is great to see. Yeah, exactly. All right, and our last quick hit of the week is from the BBC where Helen Briggs writes, Q scientists name new tree after Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, so quick, cool story to send you on your way this week. Scientists discovered a new tree that grows only in the Cameroon forest known as the Royal Botanic Gardens. So wake up, bestie. New tree just dropped. (laughs) (laughs) The gardens are known for its incredible biodiversity, and scientists gave the tree an official name of 
Uveriopsis DiCaprio after Leo helped give momentum to a campaign to protect the area of the forest where the tree was discovered. Originally, the government planned to allow logging in this portion of the forest, but revoked those plans after a little help from our pal Leo on his social media pages. This tree is a small tropical evergreen with glossy yellow flowers on its trunk. Because it's found only in such a small area, it is critically endangered. How about that? I would never have thought, like, I wonder who had money on, hey, Leo's going to have a tree named after him in 2022. I don't think there could have been anyone. I mean, he's been he's been on the forefronts of like, let's let's do something about this whole climate change and deforestation thing for a while. So, I mean, the money is better to put on him to get a tree named after him than like, I don't know. I don't want to like Bill Gates, Boris Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But like somebody else who's not doing as much. Yeah. But yeah, this is cool. And you know what? Check out the tree. It's pretty cool. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We'll be back on Monday with a discussion about the International Energy Agency's Renewables 2021 report that also includes projections for the next five years. Yeah, and if you're interested in how renewable energy and new policies can get us to net zero, this is definitely going to be the episode for you. In the meantime, you know the drill. Sharing our stuff with friends and on social media helps us a lot. Any questions, comments, story recommendations, or potential guests, send those our way on our socials or through email. If you like the show, please give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We are co-hosted and produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at planettodaypod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow those socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we will not be talking about on the podcast. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Check us out on TikTok. Peace. Peace.